You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, doing another round of Judges and still in the Song of Deborah. I think we're going to be in that through at least one more episode, probably two. So Emily said we're about halfway through her notes. <laughs> right. <laughs> on uh, After the second episode we've done on this. So uh, we're moving right along, really. I mean, whenever, whenever you factor it all in, but well, when there's you- just a lot of information here and you don't realize... Again, unless you're familiar with a lot of the rest of the Bible and how it all ties together, it, it you can just read right past it and go, whoa, oh, well, right. th- that's a thing. <laughs> well, and, and when you realize that this is one of the oldest parts of the Bible and a lot of the theology later on was built on these older parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So it really does inform things that are written at a later date. But because we haven't studied this as a theological work, we tend to, like you said, we just blow right by it. Isn't mm-hmm. this nice? There's a lovely woman singing a song and we, we miss all the, the, the illusions that are mm-hmm. in there and the way that the rest of the Bible picks up on these themes and, and just illuminates them. Now in last week, we were looking at verses 20 and 21, mm-hmm. the stars fought from their courses, uh, from their place in heaven. They fought, I believe. Yeah. It's the stars from the heavens. The stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. And we were talking about that biblically, this idea of stars was linked to angels mm-hmm. or the, the Elohim, the lesser Elohim, not Yahweh. And so right. we, we kind of established that case. We looked at some, um, well, we didn't really look. I kind of listed off some verses that, that make that connection for us, specifically uh, in Job where the uh, stars of the morning sang in the heavens. At creation, we talked about how Satan was a star, and it talks about that in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And then um, we talked about the fact that stars and angels are known to be part of spiritual warfare. They actually fight. And, you know, in Joshua 5, when he sees the commander of the Lord's host, he's there with a sword. Uh, when Balaam is going down the road to curse Israel, an angel stands in the road with a sword drawn. Mm-hmm. So, what Deborah is saying is very much in keeping with the culture. We even looked at uh, some things from an Egyptian text that also says that stars are um, helpers in warfare. But it's not just the Egyptian text that does this. That we also find this in the Ugaritic, and we didn't get a chance to go here. So we're just going to dive right in, and we're going to keep building on that theme. So if you didn't listen last week and you want to know more, by all means, go back and listen to the previous episode. But the Ugaritic text... They specifically state that Anoth, or, and we know Anoth is another name for Asarte from mm-hmm. previous yep. um, episodes, that she had a heavenly retinue of starry helpers, is a lot of times how it's translated. Okay. And they controlled the weather. And so in this passage, not only do we have stars fighting, the very next verse is that mighty torrent of Kashan. So we have stars fighting, we have stars fighting using the weaponry mm-hmm. of, of the angels. Sure. And 
Deborah's tying this all together and God is the one ultimately fighting the battle. But, but just like with those choices in Deuteronomy, where humans get to decide whether or not they're going to, to choose to fight with God, the, the angels get the choice too. And the other thing I think is interesting is, well, go ahead. I was saying, before you go to that, I think it's interesting that the angels get the choice. Mm-hmm. And because we, you know, we're taught so much in evangelical circles specifically that angels don't have a choice. They just are basically puppets. So I don't know if that's anything with where you're going, <laughs> but I think that that's kind of interesting. Well, I, okay. I don't, I didn't really prepare to go into it with this episode, but I think when we read Job and we start looking at the divine council and we look at that uh, passage with Ahab's death in Kings, mm-hmm. where we get the, this background information and even the rebellion of Satan, uh, it, how can it be rebellion if he is not given a choice? Right. And so I, I think there is a level of choice and free will that the angels do have. Uh, Jude talks about uh, angels that left their proper position. So if how are they, you know, I, I can't see where you can rule out choice for angels. I think that's a cultural thing that we have just held on to all these years. And it's been said often enough that instead of reading what the Bible says, we just accept the tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we got to be very careful when we do that. Well, I mean, that's basically what this whole show is about. <laughs> right? right. And well, and that's where you get into the oddities. And honestly, I think this is making... For me, when I look at the Bible this way, it becomes more alive, it becomes more dynamic, Mm -hmm. and we begin to see how we get to participate in this reality that God has created. So in this particular passage, we have stars that are fighting. We have Kashan in this flash flood that wipes away Sisera's troops. We have um, this whole cultural background of angels fighting and angels using weather to fight the battles. But we also have the, the chariots. Mm-hmm. And at the parting of the Red Sea, when Pharaoh goes through the waters with his chariots, we have God using, once again, water. So there, I think there's something to that. And even in that Egyptian text I read last time, the chariots, the horses were what missing were missing after the stars fought against them. Mm-hmm. So all three of these concepts are kind of all bound up in not just Judaism, but in almost every ancient culture that's known at this point. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, I do think it's kind of a, an interesting, like, you know, all, you know, because at the time the chariot was the adva- most advanced weapon of war, really. Right. And so you have basically saying, God, God's going to take care of the weapons of war. Like he's it, even yeah. going to destroy those. Well, and, you know, for us today, that's huge because when we think of the weaponry we have mm-hmm. and how terrifying, I mean, we aren't going to wipe out a village or two if somebody loses their temper. We're, we're wiping out all of us, maybe. Right. Yeah. And so I think this is a good time for us to say we can, if they could have faith at that point in time that God would fight on their behalf, we need to have faith. And this is why, you know, I know people who, especially the generation before us, where we went through the Cuban Missile Crisis and mm, all yeah, of that. All the Cold War issues. Yeah, and, and hiding under the desk in case a nuclear bomb went off, because that's going to help. Right. Uh, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that, that kind of anxiety, we don't have to have that, and we don't have to have it because we have a God who did all these things in the past, and he's faithful to do them again. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what we can kind of pull out of it. And that's really what Deborah's doing with the song, because she did start out with that, talking about God coming down from uh, 
Seer and from Edom and, and Sinai shaking. And so mm-hmm. she set up the whole thing. Think back of what God's doing. He's still doing the same thing today. Right. And so I think that's huge. Now, when we get into verse 23, we have this really, it, it's an odd verse. And it says, curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Again, that gibberim, so we're still supernatural worldview. Uh, I think Deborah's using the words intentionally. Mm -hmm. But this is the only time in the Bible we have Miraz referred to. We we don't know where they are, where it was located, who they were. We we know it's a place because it has inhabitants. Sure. Um, So probably a city or a village, probably not some planet out there in the solar system. You don't think so? Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty good about that conclusion. Although there are entire websites devoted to proving me wrong. So, I mean, this is... And I'm sure they're well documented, right? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Um, no, <laughs> no, they're not. Um, but the view's not unprecedented. Uh, actually, in rabbinic lit, uh, the idea is that Miraz was Sisera's guiding star. That that was the star that ruled Sisera's life. Okay. And well, I was I was kind of wondering <laughs> if there was any kind of indication that Miraz was a location in the the spiritual world, but I guess that would be kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's that's what the rabbis are arguing, and you know we already talked about it once in this uh, series that uh, you know the Book of Judges itself is very deeply tied. Well, not deeply, but uh, it is tied to the Jewish Zodiac and that each of the uh, 12 judges can be associated with a different month. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have this, but then went also with the connection to verse 20 with the stars being spoken about. This is what kind of leads to that idea. I, like I said, I don't feel confident in saying that, but I do want to throw it out there that this is something that is discussed. Yeah, well, and it, it's it's just interesting because the the wording there is they did not come to help the Lord, mm-hmm. and you know we have been told, <laughs> and it, and I'm and it, I know this has to be true, is that God doesn't need help, right? And so, is this more uh, a less more or less a they didn't do what God asked. They didn't carry out the plan that God had had put before them. You know, something of that nature. I think it's he he offered the extended the invitation mm-hmm. and they they didn't act on it. I mean, in a previous verse, um, Deborah says, my heart goes out to um where is it? The kings of Israel. Yeah, the ones who, who responded willingly is what it, the verse says. Ah, verse one, the people offered themselves willingly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the idea of participating in the plan willingly, joyfully, mm-hmm. with faith, there's a reward for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely see that. I, I'm just kind of, yeah, just kind of kind of had a thought about that because, you know, the, the coming willingly, the helping the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's really, it, it really is kind of that idea of God giving us a task and we get the opportunity to be part of his design. Right. We get the opportunity to, to participate with God. Um, whereas in so many other, well, not so many others, but you know, generally <laughs> a, a very specific uh, sect of Christianity, 
we don't participate with God. Right. We just follow out. We just carry out orders because God said to. Yes. And I don't see that reveal. I don't, I don't see a God who just has us carry out orders just because we're supposed to revealed in the, these passages specifically. And again, in, in a lot of prophetic passages as well. Um, and then when you get into the idea that this is all leading towards God's plan where we get to be mm-hmm. rulers with him, you know, we're going to judge the earth, judge, judge, judge angels. angels. Yeah. As Paul says, you know, things like that, it, it really leads me to believe that no, God does really want us to be part of sh- the shaping of history. And absolutely it, it just, I, I, that's what I get when I read the Bible. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I, I, another way to read it. I, I think I may have said this on the on the show before. You know, it's that three year old in the kitchen helping out. Right. We we make a huge mess. We get in the way of our parents, mm-hmm. but the parents still love that moment when the guests finally sit down at the table and the three year olds it's shake and bake and I helped. I mean, right. it's it's that idea. God doesn't need us. I mean, he obviously didn't need Baraz. He still won. Mm-hmm. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they had the option and opportunity to kind of step into that role. And I think that's kind of what's been extended to to all of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, w- is he cursing them for doing something they were unable to do? Or is he cursing them for doing something they were completely capable of doing and decided against? And I, I tend to think it's the latter. <laughs> right. And, you know, and then you have to ask, well, why why didn't they show up? And, and what was their reason? Why are they so important that the angel of the Lord here is addressing them? Because we mm-hmm. haven't seen him since chapter two. Right. And that was when he told everybody, hey, you've messed up. I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm not driving the people out before you. Because after this point, instead of, you know, we started at chapter one, the people themselves inquired of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From this point on, we're looking at prophets speaking on behalf of the Lord to the people. Right. So was Moraz disobedient um, to the, to, because they just didn't want to? Were they being lazy? Did they not want to follow the, the guidance of a woman? Right. These, these are the things that I think the text prompts us to answer. I don't know, to ask. I don't know the answer. Um, but... The big thing here is Deborah is directly quoting from the angel of the Lord. Right. And it, if you've listened to us in the past, you know that the angel of the Lord's embodied God of the Old Testament. So Deborah, as a woman, as a prophet, directly quoting, and she is confirming, this is why you need to listen to me. Mm-hmm. It's not because I had a few great ideas, and it's not because maybe I had some kind of wild insight. It's because... I actually hear from God so precisely mm-hmm. and so clearly I can quote him verbatim. Yeah. And <laughs> no, that's, that's, that is pretty cool. I, yeah, there, there is a lot of questions in there because yeah. again, why even mention them? Cause they don't show up anywhere else in the story. They don't show up anywhere else, where else in the Bible. I which, mean, <laughs> we don't pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. We don't have any, uh, other ancient documents. We don't have any other text. We, this is, this is it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they were completely basically wiped from memory aside from the fact that they were cursed. Right. So whatever the curse was, it was final. It was complete and it was wholly effective. Very good and thorough. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> this verse. Sets, Very bad and thorough, <laughs> I guess. 
Sorry. Well, yeah, what's good and bad. Um, yeah, no, we could, another whole tangent we won't go on today. But um, in providing this curse, this provides us with the chance for oppositional reading. Because as we move into the next verse, we were invited to compare Miraz with Jael. Mm-hmm. Because the next verse, you know, blessed are you among women. Most blessed of women be jail. And it kind of depends on your translation there. Right, right. And Miraz, one of the things we do traditionally was believed to have been a, a, a village or a clan specifically within Israel. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that, that the, this thinking kind of came about was by compare and contrast. Well, if Miraz is cursed and Jael is blessed, and you have these opposites. Jael's a foreigner. The Miraz would have been a tribe of Israel. And Miraz didn't have Miraz had an obligation to fight. Right. Jael doesn't have an obligation to fight. Yeah. So the oppositional reading there is really where we get the most insight. It's not just reading this verse in isolation. And so when you were reading our Bible, no matter what we're reading, we need to look at it. You know, is there an oppositional reading that would help us kind of fill out some things? Now, I think we have to be careful because we can go, you know, get too far get too afield. Far. Yeah, yeah. But I think in this point, there, at this point in the passage, there's reason to make these arguments. Yeah, no, it, I, that's, that's, that is quite interesting. I, I like that. Yeah. Now, as we're moving into jail, uh, we're going to take a little journey and it's, <laughs> it, it's a good journey, I promise. Uh, so i believe you so um as we move into verse 24 let me just read what it says because i didn't um didn't write out the entire verse it says most blessed of women be jael the wife of heber the kenite the of tent dwelling women most blessed and this phrase if it sounds familiar it's because we hear it a lot around christmas time okay oh yeah yeah it's the only other place in the Bible. It, it, this blessed among women shows up here with JL, and then it shows up again in Luke one forty two, mm-hmm. and this is when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth she says, "Let me just read Luke one forty two. And she, Elizabeth, exclaimed in a loud cry, "Blessed are you among women!" And she's talking about Mary. If you compare the Greek from the Septuagint, our trans Old Testament translation of the Bible, mm-hmm, then we compare it with Luke. We have the exact same Greek words. So are we to assume then that Luke borrowed the, the phrasing from the Septuagint? Absolutely. I mean, there, okay. there's almost no way around it for him to, to pull this out of thin air and let you know, divine inspiration, of course. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but aside from that, and I think Luke did know the Old Testament. I think we see enough allusions back to the Old Testament that Luke was writing with full knowledge of what he's saying. Now, in the song so far, Deborah is kind of the epitome of a good Israelite woman. Yeah. Now, before we get too far into that, I, I, and I'm not sure if you're about to touch on this, but, but blessed are women among, that uh, was, uh, blessed of women in tents. In tents, Are yes. you getting to that part? We, we will definitely. That line just, I, I don't know what about it, but something just, stri- just <laughs> stuck out to me about that line particular, like in tents of like, you know, why not just blessed among women? Okay. Why specifically in tents? Let's just skip to that part. Because uh, we, we were going to get there, but we're going to... Um, we'll backtrack to the other stuff, right? Yeah, we'll backtrack. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, the the tent dwelling women. Uh, she's number one when we talk about women in the tents. Typically, who we're referring to in Jewish literature are Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Gotcha. Think think back to their stories. So it's, it's they're putting her kind of on par with the the matriarchs. Precisely, they're putting her on par with the matriarchs. They're actually putting her above the matriarchs in a little bit of of a way. Okay. Um. And, and there's two ways to take this. Um, the Jewish commentators basically said she's she's blessed of among the women who stayed in the tent. So, you know, the other women that would have been in her town, maybe surrounding them. Mm-hmm. The other women stayed in their tents. They protected their modesty where JL took this this risk mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. acted very immodestly. And so but in doing so, she was protecting them. She was allowing the other women to stay to stay modest. Okay. So there's that reading, but then there's there's also the idea that the women in tents were the matriarchs because when we talk about their stories, almost all of their stories refer back to a tent. Isaac okay. takes Rebecca back to Sarah's tent, Rachel and Leah talking to Laban in the tent. Um the the idea that when when Sarah heard from God that she was going to have Isaac, Sarah was in the tent, God was outside talking to Abraham. So the women in the tents tends to point us back to the matriarchs and the idea that an outsider can help defend Israel, which we've already seen that with Othniel and Caleb and Shamgar. Shamgar, Yes. (laughs) So uh, that's really what um, Deborah is, is inviting the reader to do is, is to say, Hey, sometimes proper isn't always proper. And sometimes uh, proper isn't appropriate, but sometimes an outsider doing something we don't expect or somebody, even an insider doing something we don't expect is going to be the right move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and we're going to talk about why this was the right move here in a little bit. So, but what I was going to say with Deborah, in, in this song, she has been the good Israelite woman. She, she's fulfilled the role. She's excelled in being the epitome of what it is to to be someone of faith in that covenantal covenantal community Mm -hmm. and you would really expect her or expect luke actually to connect mary not to to jl but to deborah sure and instead he he flips her expectations and he equates mary with this outsider who acts inappropriately who's immodest Mm -hmm. And he, when he does this, it means that now he's putting Deborah's words and Deborah's role on Elizabeth and her husband. And, you know, the, the instructions for John the Baptist are very much in line with the instructions that Samson's parents get. The, the idea that Zachariah wanted a sign mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, reminds us of Gideon. and. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, not Mary at this point. Right. And now is this is this to kind of uh offset Moses' role as uh where you have Deborah marrying Moses, right? Yeah, Deborah marrying yeah. Yes. So then then you have at this point you have Elizabeth marrying Moses. But then you have the deliverance, which is from Jael, um, being actually Mary. 
marriage, and this is to say the deliverer is not the person you would think. Yeah, the deliverer, exactly. Just like with Deborah, uh, the the Cicero will be given into the hands of a woman. Mm-hmm. You you expect it to be Deborah. It's not Deborah. It is JL. Mm-hmm. And so, and in Luke, several of the characters kind of merge together, mm-hmm. and he makes kind of a conglomerate character. So we have all the judges, kind of their stories, different elements pulled together. And then Mary steps in and she is, she's JL. She, she becomes the one who embodies everything JL had embodied. Mm-hmm. And, well, well, and then when you look at the adult ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus, you initially would think because of the notoriety and outspokenness of John that he was going to be the and Messiah. Pe- and people ask him that. Yeah. And uh, are you him? And, yeah. and when you look at the the time and what's going on here when Jesus is born politically, I mean, you have a, a temple system that's enmeshed with the Roman government. Mm-hmm. The Roman government is appointing high priest, which they had no business doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people, the Israelites are letting them do this. I mean, we could argue Rome had a greater army, what have you. Uh, we're learning from judges. Who cares? Right. God doesn't. Right. Um, it got to the point where even the... The clothing of the priest that was worn on certain occasions, the Roman officials would keep them and then lend them back to the high priest during these holidays. Yeah. And then the high priest would turn them back in. Well, what are we told in Judges? Don't make covenants with foreign nations. Right. And this is the political system that Jesus is born into that that, um, Israel was very much in a covenant with Rome. Right. Now, we, we don't call it that, but... But they really were. They they were, yeah. I mean, they were put there by force, but they still also, you know, went along to uh, not die. Oh, yeah. And that's what the whole story of the Maccabees is about, which is very interesting when you consider that the word for hammer mm-hmm. is the same word for the name Maccabees. Right. So it, there's a tie in there. And if you haven't read Maccabees, uh, again, that's part of the apocryphal literature the, that mm-hmm. the Protestants don't have in their Bible. But uh, the Catholic Church has preserved it in theirs. You can find copies online. And that's where if you've ever observed Hanukkah, uh, it's based on the story and it comes out of the story of the Maccabees. Mm. And so it gets super interesting as far as those tie-ins that, that we don't have time to really explore as fully as I might like. Sure. But <laughs> Nathan's thanking me for my restraint. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I would like to know some of that stuff, but I, I think... I think if we were to try to spend, you know, the rest of the year in this, because we could literally we could. spend the rest of the year in this one song. Uh, absolutely. Then, yeah. That uh, would be a totally different show. Yes. And we'll have to wait for Heiser to do judges to see how long he spends. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, we have to remember the primary motivation for writing judges is to remind people if you're going to act like you don't have a king, then. You aren't going to have a king. Right. Because we do believe this was written at the end of the monarchy. But in the process of writing it, the story really becomes about the need for a king. Why is a king so essential for Judaism to flourish and prosper and for God to carry out his his vision for the world? Mm-hmm. So if John the Baptist and Elizabeth and, and her husband become the, the judges in this book... Then John the Baptist 
is preparing for the king. Mm-hmm. And that's what Je- the book of Judges is about. It's preparation for the king. Right. And so, you know, when you look at his message, you know, John the Baptist says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark 1, 15. The king's coming. Right. Which is the story of Judges. The king's coming. Right. Um, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of his sandals. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual truth proclaimed. And with fire. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I cut off my notes. But this one, <laughs> Holy Spirit. Yeah. But the, the, this is a tr- spiritual truth proclaimed. This is what Deborah is doing in this passage. And so you have this wonderful parallel that's going on here because Deborah's announcing, you know, this is how salvation is going to be accomplished. And it's through the God warring for us. It's for him fighting on our behalf. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so JL, through the virtue of being a woman, she had all the tools needed to accomplish Deborah's words. And so you get, this is where it gets super exciting for me because JL's home and everything that was associated with being a woman in this time are the weapons. They become a weapon in her hand. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit when we were in the narrative, how, how you know, the things, that, the things that were supposed to bring life brought death and the, the representation of uh, the chaos element of the female mm-hmm. uh, goddess, how that, that was the fear that people lived under. And here God was using that fear that people lived under in order to actually deliver his people. Exactly. And when you, when you, okay. So because (laughs) (laughs) it gets so good because it really becomes, it literally becomes the body of a woman Mm -hmm. in Mary that becomes the means through which salvation enters the world. Mm -hmm. And so here JL does it with the home, the symbols. Mm -hmm. Mary actually does it with her body. Yeah. Yeah, And, (laughs) and if you're, if you're one of these gods, if you're one of these lesser Elohim, who have disobeyed God, that God has said in Psalm 82, like any man, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. What is a woman? She's the means of your destruction. Right. And so, um, you know, JL saves a nation. Mary becomes the one who saves the, you know, through her salvation for the entire world. Uh, yeah. That <laughs> Jesus comes and saves Jesus, the entire world, not Mary, Mary herself. Yeah, exactly. But she's the... She's she, the means. She's, she's the means to, to bring Christ into the world. Now, the problem, if you carry out this analogy incorrectly, what you wind up is you wind up with Sisera equaling Jesus somehow. And, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, obviously that's incorrect. Not, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time elaborating the problem with that. But we do have a really great solution to continue our analogy and go deeper. And it's in Colossians uh, 2, 13 through 15. And of course, this is Paul writing. And he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The legal demands here, that's the curse under Deuteronomy. When you disobey, you're cursed. Okay, so continuing. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm Mm-hmm. And he disarmed the rulers, authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. So he's saying our debt, our legal obligation, and you know, what we deserve has been nailed to the cross. Mm-hmm. Yep. The people of Israel deserve Sisera. 
that was what they were entitled to. He'd been promised to them in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. when you choose, you can be yeah. blessed or you can be cursed. Yep. And so Paul's saying right here. It's the legal demands that were put to death. Put to death. Yeah. Nailed to the cross. And what did JL do? She nailed yeah. Yeah. Sisera to the ground. I mean, it's, it's just awesome. Now, when Paul's talking about um, rulers and authorities, he's almost always speaking in supernatural terms. Mm-hmm. And so Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic, cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces in heavenly places. Yeah, what translation is that? That's ESV. ESV? Yeah. Okay. So Judges 5.20 from the heavens, the stars fought in their courses. They fought against Sisera. So I, it's all coming back together in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And when you begin to look at this theme, I mean, it just it blows me away because when we start talking about cosmic battles in the Bible, we begin with Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. And we've got the, the fall with Eve eating the apple. We go to Genesis 6, the next big event. Women are at the center of that because the angels taking the wives. Mm-hmm. When we get to um, Exodus 2, where uh, Exodus 1, sorry, where Pharaoh is keeping the women alive and it's the midwives who bring about saving the babies, which means Moses can live so mm-hmm. that he can, again, women in the middle of it, Judges 4 or 5, all of the gospels, we can talk about all of the women who were involved. We won't, but you right. guys get the idea. Revelation 12, where we, you know, there was a sign in heaven, there's a woman clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet. There's 12 stars above her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start to, it, the language is all the same. Right. And there is something about women in these cosmic, these cosmic battles over and over again. We're in the center of them. We, we, we are just, we're either causing it we're playing a role in it. Uh, you know, it, it's... Announcing it. <laughs> announcing it, um, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that's brought out enough. And I don't think I'm even engaging in feminist theology here. I think I'm just engaging in theology because right. that's what the Bible says. I'm not having to reach for any of this. So, um, now notice in verse 26, she, and it's talking about J.L., sent her, head, her hand to the tent peg, the right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Deborah's taking a great deal of delight in describing the violence here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just gets gory with it. And, you know, I think we have to remember that this is a violent culture. Mm-hmm. Blood, guts, fighting. It, it's not a huge, scary deal. To these people because they live with it every day. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're, you know, blah, da, 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 I don't care, but it's not as disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as far, not as far removed. Well, you know, even whenever, how many people today couldn't eat an animal they saw butchered in front of them? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, I was kind of thinking something, something similar than that, but I, I didn't really want to <laughs> pick too much on, on yeah. you know, our, our non-farm friends. Yeah. Well. It's it's a reality, guys. We aren't trying to be mean. So this this is Deborah's uh, celebration of what's going on, and you go back to that Colossians being put into put to open shame, triumphing triumphing uh, over his enemies. 
So uh, this kind of, of exaltation in God's power, it, it, it's part of the biblical language. Yeah. And so now we're getting ready to go into a part that we have to do a listener warning. Mm-hmm. Because um, there's just no way to discuss this next verse without getting... Listener discretion is advised. Uh, yeah, mature and adult themes. Uh, and really, it's kind of funny because it's not really mature and adult themes. It's reading this as if you were a 14-year-old boy. So uh, sexual <laughs> themes is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, because, you know, with 14-year-old boys, everything's sexual. But yeah. <laughs> You've got three seconds to find the, uh, the off button. Three, <laughs> two, one... Okay, so um, we're going to go with verse 27, and I'm just going to read the verse as it's written. Um, That way you can know I'm not making anything up here. It says, between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. So... Obviously, if you just read this very literally, it, it okay, she killed him. You know, this is this is what you get. And that is honestly the most innocent reading we can have of this passage. About murder. About murder. <laughs> and so yeah. Cause uh everything else, this it starts to get crazy. So the second way we can read this is with euphemisms and euphemisms. Which the, the Bible's full of. Absolutely. And I've got some um, examples. So when we read it with euphemisms, um, that's just a, ni- a nice way to say something naughty. Right. And there's... Just, just go ahead. Well, you're, you're trying I'm, to... <laughs> no, I'm not trying to... Because I, I, I started to go someplace, so I need to catch this in my notes. There is... Um, even with a euphemistic reading, there's two ways to do that. One is that J.L. seduced Sisera right. with the intent to kill him. The second one is that he raped J.L. And then right. she decided to kill him. So we're going to talk first about euphemisms and how they're used in the Bible. And then we'll let you decide as a listener whether you agree. And then we're going to talk about whether the seduction or the rape is the best reading. Okay. So didn't expect to go quite all through there, but uh, <laughs> in this episode, but let's, yeah, let's just tackle it. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So reading this, this passage in particular, euphemistically, we can definitely find documents of it to about 180 uh, ADCE. Um, and it kind of fell out of favor for a really long time, but the feminist theologians are picking it back up again and they're bringing it back to the forefront of, of the discussion. Yeah. So. The basis for reading a biblical ver- verse, any biblical verse, euphemistically, is that, number one, the Bible doesn't have a word for sex. Right. Number two, it doesn't have a word for rape. Number three, it doesn't have a word for the external genitalia. Right. So anytime you reference these things, you, you have to use euphemisms. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we all know the first one. Adam knew his wife. Right. It's sex. Uh the other one, we find it in Sodom and Gomorrah, very familiar. Bring out the men that we may know them mm-hmm. again. Uh, Amnon lay with Tamar. That was when Amnon raped Tamar. Right. Uh, go into my, my servant. This is what Sarah tells Abraham. Go into, mm-hmm. again, we're talking, about, we're talking about sex. 
And when you read those in context, I don't think anybody can miss that. And now we have to ask, is this a correct reading of this particular passage? The uh, first word, sank, it, it's kara. It means to bow down or to crouch or kneel. Okay. Uh, we have it again in Job 31.10, and I'm going to read the verse here. Then let my wife grind for another. Then let others bow down on her, for that would be a heinous crime. Okay. I think it's hard to miss that it's being used sexually sure, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Now, we, this is the problem. This is the only time that word's being used sexually in the Bible. So one time out of 34 times. The rest of the time, it's dealing with worship. It's dealing with just other physical activities. It's not referring to sex. So okay. that word in and of itself is kind of weak. Uh, if you're going to read it as a sexual uh, interpretation here mm -hmm. in Judges. The next word, nafal, we have one time that it can kind of have a sexual connotation. And that, that time would be Esther 7, 8. And this is when Haman falls on her. Okay. And the, the, the story, Haman falls on her and there's no, it, it's more like he just tripped. Yeah. But then when the king sees what's going on, he, he says, you know, are you trying to rape my wife is basically what he asks. Right. And he uses a different word. He doesn't use Nafal. So that one's really, really weak. Okay. Now, Lay, I, I didn't even go into how many times in the Bible this is used in a sexual sense because it's, it's really it, prevalent. It's to have all that. over. Yeah. You can look that one up on your own. But the rabbis saw all of these as being, um, being sexual. And there's seven times we have sank, lay, and fall. And Rabbi Yochanan says this means that JL had sex with Sisera seven times. Now, <laughs> unless he's 14. So that's a busy afternoon. Yeah, you know, uh, and, and no wonder he was passed out enough to have a tent peg nailed through his head. Uh, but, you know, I'm calling bull on that one. Uh, I think that's reading way too much into the scripture. But the, um, the other reason to read this euphemistically, and I think this is actually a much stronger case, is the phrase between her feet. Right. We have it two times. And feet, that's a very common euphemism for external genitalia. Right. Uh, Deuteronomy 28.57 says, it's talking about the afterbirth that comes out from between her feet. Mm -hmm. um, afterbirth doesn't come from between your feet. Uh, Isaiah 7.20, God is going to shave the hair from the feet of the Assyrian king. Now, he doesn't have hobbit feet. Uh, you just have we to... assume. Yeah, you're just going to have to think lower half of the body and what can you shave. Uh, Ezekiel 16.25, and it's always got to go back to Ezekiel 16.25 when we're talking euphemisms or Ezekiel 16. The English reads offering yourself. Yeah. The Hebrew literally says, spread wide your feet. Right. And it's in reference to Israel whoring with other nations, with Egypt specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So we have good reason to, to read this as a sexual encounter because we do have that between your feet. That's pretty spot on. It's pretty acknowledged within um, most academic Hebrew circles. 
that this is a euphemism and we can't get away from the between your feet being a euphemism. Sure. Um, the third, second reason we have to, to think of this as a sexual encounter is we have Cicero's fear. And, and that goes back to chapter four is, you know, if anyone asks, is there a man in here? Mm-hmm. Why is he worried about a man? And why not? Is he, he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be worried about them looking for him specifically, but just a man. Right. And so he, he's thinking of doing activities involving a man and a woman within a tent. The third thing we have to, to look at is starts in verse 30. And that's when we start looking at Sisera's mother. Okay. And so I just want to read through this because. That is. Uh, yeah. That, that's, that's a weird passage too. Right. And we're going to talk about some I, of this. I feel like I use that phrase way too much <laughs> during this series, but it is really weird. It, 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 it is, but it's so, it's because it's so far out of our cultural context. And um, there's actually a lot of critique about this part. So I'm going to start in verse 28. And I'm just going to read through because everything else kind of hinges on this passage. It says, Out of the windows she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answered, Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed material for Sisera, spoil of dyed, dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as a spoil. So she. I, I, I think it's, <laughs> I think, okay. So this, this passage, I remember like when I listened to judges uh, at the warehouse, I remember thinking, man, that's so weird. <laughs> like the consolation is like, oh no, they're just out raping and pillaging. Yeah. Like that that's the consolation is oh, they're just yeah, you know, they won the battle. They're out it, doing it. Yeah. It, exactly. So So that like that to me is just the foreign, you know. Pre- precisely. Idea. Yeah. And so that when when Cicero's mother, this is what like you said, this is what she's consoling herself that her son's a rapist, so everything's okay. I, I mean, Yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. I think this is one of the, the things that we look at to, in support of it being a sexual encounter. Now, reasons against reason, reading it as a sexual encounter is euphemisms are not absolute. Right. And, you know, they require that shared language, which we don't always have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's difficult to say that we share this language with Deborah. Uh, the second reason people use is, well, he'd be too tired and he would be worn out and wouldn't be able to perform. Now, we have documentation that when people are confronted, this is a normal phenomenon, when people are confronted with death, either the possibility of their own or the death of people around them, they often turn to sex as some kind of, uh, you know, celebration of life uh to to console themselves you might say it's like an evolutionary imperative to to propagate the species uh, pretty much you know <laughs> yeah I, I can i yeah that makes sense yeah and so this this escalated sex drive after violence it, it's pretty normal we see it in movies all the time we it's in tv shows everywhere so i, I still think cicero human and to have a human reaction wouldn't be that abnormal right now um sexual violence and warfare at this time was also common yeah yeah um 
now the the then we come into the question of is it seduction or is it rape now it it's argued and i saw this argued several places that even if it wasn't a, a violent rape where uh, jl seemed to participate with sisera that um there was an element of fear that she had that that it was his position of authority and power that you know she consented like bathsheba would have consented with david okay yeah the problem I have with that, and I've got to be real careful here because I don't want to sound like I would ever be victim blaming or anything like that. She went out to meet him. Right. She was yeah, the, she called him in. Yeah. Turn aside. Turn aside to me. Uh, she, she really initiates the, conduct, uh, the, the contact between them. So it doesn't sound to me like she's afraid. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see fear in her actions. Um, and, you know, why did she invite him in? Was she initially his ally and then he, he did attack her and she turned it around on him? Or did she invite him in with the intent to kill him? Right. So the question really becomes, who's the victim? Sure. Is it Sisera or is it JL? And I, I think some of it really comes back to, I think, that the idea of killing a sexual predator is just more palatable. Yes. So uh, because the, the Jewish commentators present their story, it, it is as seduction when they talk about it. That's how they, um, how they present it, that she caused him to go to, to have sex with her so that he would go to sleep. And, you know, that she did go out to meet him. And, you know, when she feeds him, she feeds him from that lordly bowl and she, she sets, milk in front of him instead of water and that that this is very much in keeping with the idea of a woman playing on a man's weaknesses and playing to his ego and in order to gain his trust right and um it it seems just a little too well planned out for them for it not to have been a trap and so their their debate with jl is did she do something sinful in order to accomplish a holy act. Right. And uh, you know, we talked a little bit about that last week, uh, one of the previous episodes, the running together. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a few weeks ago. But, right. But yeah, we, <laughs> we have point. touched on that. So, and, and you can remember too that in, in the Talmud, kind of the, the presupposition is if a man and a woman are alone together, then they're having sex. That, that's just basically throughout the Talmud. There's not really any nuance to that. Okay. So... Um, but the, the, like I said, the feminist theo- theologians have picked this up and they aren't, um, they're presenting it more as a rape because it is more palatable to, to modern, um, audiences, you know, killing is an act of revenge for sexual violence. It's just not as heinous as, as other killings. And okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem to be anyway. Well, so. here, here's some evidence from our culture. Okay. Um, they're called rape revenge films. It's a whole genre. These include films like The Girl with the Dragon Ta- Tattoo, mm-hmm. Gothica, I Spit on Your Grave, Kill Bill, The Last House on the Left, Sin City, and even T.D. Jake's movie Woman Thou Art Loosed. Okay. So we have a whole, you know, part of Hollywood dedicated to, to telling these types of stories. Hmm. Yeah. And Fair enough. It, well, and there's even, I think, Hard Candy's another one. 
I mean, I I was thinking about these and just going, there's list after list after list um, of movies that have this theme. And we do know that he is a rapist. Did he have this reputation before? Right. Which, you know, we know that JL knew who he was from the past. So who's to say what happened before this moment? Maybe right. this was just her, her chance to get back. And Well, and then you get into the consolation of the mother that, oh, well... He's just out doing what he does. Yeah. Oh, my cute little boy. You know, it, it's so it's so messed up. And, the, you know, the women, the women of his camp, they are celebrating this. This mm. tells you what kind of, of enemy that Israel was really fighting against. Yeah. And the women are just OK with it. Yeah. It's so weird. Right. Uh, I, I like, I, yeah, this is <laughs> like I said, when I was going through, it's like, oh, my God. What it, am I listening to? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, a lot of times if, when people want to critique the Bible, the first thing they want to point out is, oh, my goodness, they went in and they wiped out all these Canaanites. Look at the attitude of the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. L- look at what the women are celebrating. Right. There's a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a there's definite problem with this culture. <laughs> this is this is not something that I, I think. You know, if you lived in a city like this, you're either going to fight back or you're going to move. Yeah. I mean, it's just that simple. And so the other thing Deborah points out is that mama's at home looking out a window behind a lattice. Okay. She's, she's secure. Mm-hmm. She's safe. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is with JL, she's with the women in the tents. Right. And so she's drawing this contrast, the safety and security of the women of Israel. It's not about fortified cities. It's not about windows with bars across them to keep out the enemy. It really is found in God. Hmm. And so Deborah, you know, the mother of Israel is talking about the mother of Sisera. And she's been out there on the battlefield. She's been out there in the midst of the fighting while Cicero's mom stays at home. Who sounds more liberated here? Right. I mean, it's not the Jewish women. Um, it's not the Canaanite women, you mean? Right. They don't sound more liberated than the Jewish women? No, they don't. They sound like they're stuck at home wondering what's going to happen next. Right. So um, when the, when the women rejoice... And the Israelite women rejoice. I kind of wonder, are they rejoicing because they know that Sisera is never going to attack one of them again? Because we already know they can't travel the roads. Mm-hmm. We already know that, that, that there's this fear of the Canaanite army that's throughout the land. Yeah. Uh, I think anybody, I'm going to use a cliche. I know you're going to hate me for it. But, you know, when you look at Braveheart and mm-hmm. the the... the lords the english lords coming into the villages and people just having to accept it mm-hmm. yep that it would have been that same sort of scenario in this time yeah that Be- makes sense uh, yeah i mean it's it, it's astounding to me that we talk about how unsafe women are today and you know there's all these self-defense courses and walking to your car and having your keys ready and being able to to uh, wear what we want to wear and these great discussions, we, we have it so good. When you compare it to these ancient cultures, Mm -hmm. our concerns are so minor because when we talk about sexually 
sexual harassment today, you know, I don't, if a man says, hey, you need to smile more, that's totally different than what these women were facing. Right. right. You know, I, that, and I know that that's really hard for a lot of women. Oh, I shouldn't have to tolerate that. Maybe not. And I'm not saying that it's okay, but at the same time, it's nothing compared to what these women were dealing with. Right. Right. And, And this whole song is really focusing us on the, um, on the women and their roles that they play within their own community. And, you know, look at what Cicero is gathering up. He's gathering a womb or two. Uh, he's mm-hmm. gathering dyed materials and dyed work of, of embroidery. Notice what's not mentioned. Money? No gold, no, no silver, mm-hmm. no weaponry, no livestock. Right. It's all things that women have made. Right. And in doing that, we're, he's, he's really gathering up the women and everything that belongs to the world of women. And we're right back to the idea that this is flowing around women being the central element within these cosmic conflicts. Now, we're going to continue to go a little bit deeper here. Uh, I, but before we do, I just want to point out this, this section here. Uh, over Cicero's mother, there's been a lot of debate around it. A lot of commentators don't like it. They don't think that a, um, a true prophet of God is going to be that violent, that a true prophet is not going to gloat over the demise of their enemy. Have they read the other prophets? <laughs> exactly. Uh, have they read the Psalms? <laughs> I, I, what? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, it, no. Like you have right. to ignore so much of the Bible to get to that conclusion. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry. No, you're, you're right. But I think this comes back to we aren't looking at her as a prophet. We're looking at her as a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't like the idea that women can be violent. I have two kids. Yeah. I've got two kids. <laughs> you had I three two, sisters. <laughs> I had three sisters. Yeah. And... That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Every set of stitches you ever had, I think, were my fault. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they were accidents, though, mostly. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, definitely. 100% accidents. So, but, yeah, but you step between a mother and her child, and we can get violent. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. And she's listed as the mother, a mother yes. in Israel. And I was, there was, I saw this meme the other day. It was like, Mother bear is uh, my favorite. Mother bear is probably the cutest way to uh, describe that you'll kill someone if they mess with your kid. You know, (laughs) yeah, yeah, with no remorse and no mercy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think any woman who's had children feels that way. And so it it doesn't make sense to me that people would say that this is a latter addition, that this is something that uh, we need to look on with suspicion. It's in the Bible. It's been in the Bible a very, very long time. It's been in there longer than most of the Bible. <laughs> right. It's more uh, Bible than Bible. It, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry. Well, if you're looking at the foundation uh, of theology, again, this is what this is operating as. It, it, it becomes mind-blowing. So I, I, I've kind of, I actually got through all of this a lot faster than I anticipated. Oh, no worries. But... Um, this fits with the themes presented 
mm-hmm. in prior to this in, in the song. And so I, I just wanted to hit a few points to kind of pull it all back together for us. Yeah. Because we're looking at a violent culture and, you know, and that's been demonstrated through all of Judges. I mean, we open up with the thumbs and toes being cut off mm-hmm. of the king. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get more violent and it's going to get more gruesome. And it's going to be more pointed against women as we progress forward. Well, and, and I, I do think it's worth pointing out, too. I think I know we pointed it out in that episode where we covered Judges 1. But I think it's worth pointing out again that, you know, the violence of the cutting off toes, mm-hmm. that didn't originate with Israel. Right. That, again, you're talking about... Uh, you know, a place that celebrates rapist and cuts off thumbs and toes. Yes. So, yeah, like you said, it, look at the society that they're going after. Right. So. And the society that's infecting them, that God has said, hey, you know, this is a problem. And I don't, I don't want this to be what pollutes you. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. want to keep you poor, uh, pure. Sorry, not poor. Uh, that's there, a whole other debate. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we need to remember that this, this society it's beyond anything that we could imagine actually living in. We'll watch it on TV, but we weren't going to live there ourselves. Right. So Deborah's a judge. Judges are governing rulers. They're warriors. They are a part of this conflict and they do what's necessary to, to stop the oppressors. Mm -hmm. We just got done with Ehud. Ehud, look at what he did. And so she's still keeping very much in that, um, tradition mm-hmm. so and, and this is an account of a cosmic battle because it's a prophetic word looking at the spiritual truth that lies behind the physical reality mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this cosmic battle goes back to genesis 6 where women were the prize of the fallen angels the stars the host of heaven and so the, once again we have that tie-in as a canaanite or a hurrian sisera is he's tied in as one of the direct descendants of the Nephilim, of the Rephaim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, and actually, that's kind of an interesting point, because you, 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 you said that the, the women were the prize of the fallen angels. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of what, a, what an incredible compliment that is to women. Mm-hmm. The daughters of man were so attractive they were to, the, to the sons of God right. that they were willing to give up their places in heaven. And according I mean, to Enoch... What a crazy, like... Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what the Bible thinks of women. Right. Yeah, I hadn't put <laughs> it together. They're that great. <laughs> hadn't put it together quite like that because, yeah, in the book of Enoch, uh, it has, um, I believe it's Azazel in that passage, the name that, that the main angel is being identified as. It's Azazel? Uh, who, um, it's not Azazel. I think it's different. Go, go ahead. Okay. It may be. But okay, but the, the head, head angel, whoever he is, whichever one he is, he calls out the, all the other angels together and they make this pact and they realize what they're doing. They realize what they're giving mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And so this was not like an uninformed uh, decision, according to Enoch. Right. Now, how far we go with Enoch, that's a whole matter of debate. Sure. But this is important because it tells us that the people of that time period when that book was written, this is how they viewed women. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty telling. And so, and Sisera, he's linked to that tradition because as one of the descendants of the Rephaim, he contained that bloodline from the, the children mm-hmm. of the, the union between women uh, of, of earth and the angels of heaven. And he seems to be more than happy to keep up the family tradition, which was violence and raping and mm-hmm. 
so he's very much an archetype of the the Nephilim. Sure. And I think we need to remember that the first time the Nephilim infested the earth, God flooded everything to to clean house. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so if God's going to use the waters of the flood to cleanse the whole earth of them mm-hmm. in Genesis 6, right. and then here they've returned in, in Judges, and God once again uses Kashan water to, to cleanse the armies. Mm-hmm. But this time, what I love is the reversal here, because where the women were taken in Genesis 6, the woman takes Sisera. Right. And, and so we have, uh, again, that full reversal. and then. The women, the women of Canaan, they worshipped Anath and Asarte. They mm-hmm. worshipped this bloody goddess who was the goddess of love and the goddess who, who liked to decorate herself with body parts. And if you're a woman who's worshipping this goddess, there, there's something really wrong with you. Sure. I mean, sure. I, let's, let's just, it, yes, life and death are hand in hand. But the, the problem with this goddess is she was so unpredictable and so uncontrollable. She didn't even know when to stop killing her own people. Right. And so there's stories of, of her just going on rampages, killing everyone. And so to have a woman who can come up against a man who's, who had been uh, raised in this culture where that goddess was, was the top goddess, mm-hmm. killed by a woman. We talked about that in, in the uh, episode on four. This is... This is a huge reversal there. It's mm-hmm. not what he expected. Yeah. So now um, the representatives of the lesser Elohim, I, I kind of touched on this, the, which the re- their representatives would be their offspring. Mm-hmm. Genesis 6 and Pharaoh and his armies mm-hmm. and Exodus 14 and 15 and the Canaanites here we all have that supernatural intervention of water. And so I think we can see how all of these tie together mm-hmm. because we did talk, we've talked about it before how Pharaoh was the representative of mm-hmm. yeah. this God. Uh, of, the, of the Egyptian God. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this, this really is, it's a song of women by a woman about women for women. It, everything points us back to women. And it's, it, and it is because we've been at the center of this cosmic war. And, you know, Eve was tempted in, in Genesis 3 to see and take. In Genesis 6, women were seen and taken. Pharaoh keeps the, the girls alive. And and then here you have Sisera who was seen and then taken <laughs> in. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, and, and the other really fun little point with this, uh, again, this is going to be terribly graphic. Sisera, who's celebrated for penetrating women with his phallus, um, gets penetrated by a phallic object. Right. And so it, it, it actually becomes a reverse rate. Sure. And it, it's, you know, the destroyer of homes is destroyed by a home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he becomes the victim of a representative of all his victims. And so the fact that JL uses the tools of a woman to destroy a man keeps this very much about a woman who is still a woman and continues to hold on to her femininity in the midst of this, this chaos. Right. But not only do we have all these themes tying together, I think I actually had a page out of line there because when I get through Genesis and we look at Exodus and we come back to judges and we see women 
at the center of this cosmic battle. It's not just Old Testament. I want to read Revelation 12 here. And so we're in Revelation 12, it's verse 1, and it says, And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman mm-hmm. clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her, crown, uh, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, crying out in the birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the woman stood before, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who will rule all nations with an rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she will be nourished for 1,260 days. And then uh, verse seven, now there arose a war in the heavens and Michael and his angels are fighting there. So from Genesis literally to Revelation, we can't get away from this theme as women being in the center. And the reason is if you destroy the women, then now the promises of Genesis 3 can't happen. Right. There's no possibility of them being fulfilled. And because in Genesis 3, God says, and he's speaking to the serpent here, I shall put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head Mm -hmm. and you shall bruise his heel. So notice the words there. Uh, Number one, between your offspring, this means the enemy of God has offspring. So Mm -hmm. now we're talking about the Nephilim. We're talking about the the nations that gave birth to Sisera. Mm -hmm. And so he, he's, He's going to be fighting against the offspring of God, who's the offspring of God, the children of Israel. And so we have the, this, um, this ongoing plot that's going on. Uh, the, he shall bruise your head. Mm-hmm. What does JL do? I mean, that's... Yeah. And um, she, she really becomes enacted prophecy. She, she herself lives it out mm-hmm. and, and she's minding us god hasn't lost the plot he still knows what's going on and she's reminding us to look ahead and just this is all despite the fact that everything is going wrong in israel mm-hmm. everything is falling apart within israel and when you have an, a nation under oppression in the bible the ones who are actually going to um suffer the most are the women. Right. And so, and if you don't believe me, in case you think I'm building too loose of a case, we're going to go to Psalm 68. And we're just, we're going to buzz through part of this because I say buzz through how long we got. Oh, we're way over, but I saw you were close (laughs) to the end of your notes. So I figured we could just wrap it up on a little extra long episode. Yeah, we'll we'll just buzz through. Okay. In that case, I'm not going to worry about my time. Psalm what? Psalm 68. And it says, I'm looking at verse 7 through 10, and it says, O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain, before the God, the one of Sinai, before the God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, you shed abroad and restored your inheritance as it languished, your flock found a dwelling in it, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. So we have, remember the opening of that song in, in Judges 1. 
that when God came down from Edom and Seir and the earth quaked and the, the, the heavens dropped. Mm-hmm. So we have the same language here. Um, verses 11 and 12, the Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though the men lie among the sheepfolds. The women are dividing the spoil. God's saying whenever he wins, it's not Sisera dividing the spoils. It's the women Mm -hmm. dividing the spoils. Verse 21, but God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in guilty ways. Right there. Back to the... (laughs) Crushing the head. What did Jael do? Uh, first 21. Well, well, oh, and it's ahead. the hairy head of the enemies. Okay. Yeah. So that also echoes back to Deborah's song. Yes. Yeah, so that's, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. So, um, uh, 20, verse 27, you got a list of the tribes very much. So, um, very much in keeping with Deborah, as we were talked about before, but verse 15 and 18 is really what ties us back into that cosmic war. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Um, you ascend on high, leading a host of captives from your train, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, right there, we've opened up a can of worms because Bashan, this is um, the region where Mount Hermon is. Mm-hmm. This is the home of King Og, the Nephilim king, the one who had the giant bed. Yep. This is where Jesus, the same region where Jesus faces off with Legion mm-hmm. and casts the demons into the pigs. Yep. This is the place of Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell, where Peter makes the confession. Caesarea Philippi, uh, yeah. not Caesarea. Oh, sorry. See, I've been saying it too long. <laughs> uh, so, so this all ties in together, and this all comes together as a, as a, and like I said, it's unified. Yeah. It, it's being played throughout the scripture, and in the psalm, which is basically a rewrite of a Deborah song, if you go back and... And actually put the two together and I didn't, I, I refused to get too in depth with it because I knew we would keep, we just hang out here forever. Yeah. But there are point by points. Habakkuk 3, same thing. The women become the centerpiece and that's, I, I don't think we talk about that as much as we need to. There's, there's one final thing and we're going to wrap it up. The final way that um, Mary is tied to JL is they're both tied to sexual scandal. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter whether it actually happened with, with JL that um, she was raped, she seduced him. It, it doesn't matter. It's still scandalous. It, it's still scandalous. And both of them are still having their integrity and virtue questioned to this day. But God celebrates them. And so I think the takeaway... But, well, but God celebrates them, and, and there's no doubt that they are heroes in the story. Precisely. Precisely. And they, they what they endured, they, they endured for a reason and a purpose, and God did not forget them. And I think our, our big takeaway as women is that we're at the center of God's plan. Mm-hmm. We always have been. We're not forgotten. And we're not without defense. And we're not defenseless. Right. And, you know, and our strength as women and our femininity 
are they're prized, they're valuable. Mm-hmm. And so I think so often in Christian circles, we, we're taught that they're dangerous, which it is. Our, our being a woman is a dangerous thing, and not just to ourselves. Um, we can pose a danger to others. I'm not going to comment on but, that. But, uh, you know, and sometimes that's a good thing. Um, but that, that's the thing. Um, whenever we, we look at how God values us and how he celebrates us, then I don't know, there's hope for that. I think especially coming from the, those backgrounds where women are, are just basically everything we're told about women is that we're, we're evil. Mm-hmm. We're the reason the world's in the situation we're in. And, and, you know, there was Jezebel and all these other horrible women in the Bible. But there's some really great women who stand in some really key points. And to know that J.L., the, probably the most violent and bloody of all women, she, she becomes the destroyer of Sisera, which is fabulous. And I, mm-hmm. I know we were over time, but the, the point of attacking the women, and I, I want to kind of make this very clear, the point of attacking the women was to stop the promise of Genesis 3 from happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when I say those Canaanite people and the Canaanite gods were afraid of, of a woman being able to rise up and destroy, mm-hmm. this, this is why. Okay. Because... Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because if a woman can defend herself, then they can thwart God's plan. And if a woman can be dangerous, they can thwart God's plan. And so the fact that a woman was able to rise up with God's help shows that God is going, he's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And he did. Mm-hmm. And he does. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what I got for this time. So, so that's, that's all. That's, <laughs> that's the whole it. song of Deborah. That's it. I thought we had more, but. <laughs> well, I, I think we, we covered it pretty in depth and uh, I, I, it's very enjoyable. I, this was a long episode. So thanks everyone for bearing with us. I just, I noticed how close you were to the end of your notes. I was like, we're just going to ride this out to the end. And we're, you know, we're only about 20 minutes over. So that's not bad. That's, I mean, that's actually kind of on the medium side for a podcast anyway. But everyone, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. That was, that was crazy. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm excited uh, to, to, to process a lot of this information and, and think about that and just kind of incorporate a lot of these thoughts uh, about just, the universe and God and his greatness and, and his goodness. I mean, and when I say incorporate that, I'm, I, you know, and it's again, that new I'm layer. Like, it's that new level. Yeah. Well, it, well, and like, you know, we talk again and I've, I've mentioned this before. Sometimes we just study this stuff to expand our view of God and for no other reason than to make mm-hmm. our worship more intense mm-hmm. uh, or more complete and, and bring our lives into going, uh, we have a God who's worth living a life of worship for. Right. So, and I think this demonstrates it because I, 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 we get, we literally went from Genesis to Revelation with the study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's in one chapter. And, yeah, and we didn't even hit all of the points. So. Oh no. <laughs> so yeah, I I'm excited. Um, I think this is good stuff, and I hope that uh, hope that you guys are tracking with us and joining it out there. Anything we started on and missed, you know, hit us up in the conversation. Um. If you like what you heard, please uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, Absolutely. That goes a long way to helping us out. YouTube reviews, too, YouTube, please. YouTube reviews, things like that uh, definitely helps. Um, and uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, hit us up on Raven Creek SC on all social media. Um, RavenCreekSC.com gets you to pretty much everything else we've got going mm-hmm. on. And... Uh, if you really like what you heard and want to uh, pass us a couple bucks to keep the uh, the 
uh, hosting fees and things paid up, uh, uh, patreon.com slash Raven Creek SC. You can find us on there. Um, everything, anything you feel come, you know, in, <laughs> you know, inspired to do to help, uh, is greatly appreciated. So absolutely. Thank you everyone. And we will see you next week. Right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the faith and other oddities podcast, a Raven Creek social club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.